0: Welcome back to another episode of the La Brea Purveya. My name is Pete Phillips, and I am your purveyor. Now I know what you're thinking. La Brea hasn't been on. So what's this guy going to talk about? Well, while La Brea is away, I wanted to keep the podcast going by exploring some themes of the show and some shows that it's often compared to. I'm in the middle of my first time watching Lost, for example. But this week, I wanted to focus on a theme that has really been bugging me in the show. Family can be complicated. In an interview with Collider after the season two finale, series creator David Applebaum said, At its heart, the show has always been about this family trying to get back to each other. And later, the Harris family is the emotional center of the show, and one of the central themes of the show is about it being a divided family. There are references to family throughout the series, and One of the aspects that continues to bug me is how heavily divorce is treated in the show. The children, who aren't really children, but late teens, can't seem to understand why two people can love each other but also need to be apart. According to Gallup's annual Values and Beliefs poll, 81% of Americans find divorce to be morally acceptable. So, why the harsh judgment? Oh, chill out. Chill out. Marriage and family therapist Hal Runkle says, Marriage, quote, is perfectly designed to help you grow up. It challenges your blind spots. Marriage will expose your selfishness. It'll expose your immaturity. And that's a good thing. It will continuously ask you to grow in ways you couldn't have anticipated. What happens sometimes is that one or both partners change so drastically that they come to the realization that their marriage isn't helping them live the life they want. Quote, making a mature decision in that direction may be the best outcome of all, Runkle said. So what do you say? When you get divorced, you turn in your library card, you get a new license, you stop being Jewish? Unlike Runkle, I am not a therapist, but I see the issues between Gavin and Eve emerge through flashbacks and their experiences together. If we recap, Gavin was a pilot who flew over Mojave, where there was once a sinkhole. Nearing this location gave him visions of what we know to be his past. Evidently, these visions afflicted him so much that he turned to drinking. As an audience, we don't know how these visions affected him or what lengths he went to to address them. But he drank so much that he started to become intolerable and essentially absent from his family. Eve, seeking solace, turned to the guy who was constantly around, Gavin's friend, Levi. Some accounts say that Gavin and Levi were best friends, but I don't really see that coming through in the flashbacks. Regardless, Levi and Eve begin sleeping together, and Levi has no problem with that. Eve does, but she can't choose between the two men. And Gavin is clueless about the whole thing. When it all comes to the surface, Gavin is disappointed, but not willing to quit on Eve. And for some reason, still stays close pals with Levi. Eve does seem willing to quit on Gavin, but in the end, she doesn't. In the meantime, a normal dynamic emerges among the children. Josh resents his father and blames him for the problems. Izzy sides with Gavin a bit more. And lucky for them, that's how the separation went down, because of the sinkhole. Eventually, Josh turns on his mother, taking a morally superior angle because... Well, because Josh's character is eternally flawed and he sucks. But he bounces back to his dad because it turns out that Gavin was right. His visions did mean something. And, of course, his mother sabotaged his efforts to board a plane that was doomed to crash that he thought would get him out of 10,000 BC. So we see a children of divorce dynamic playing out in Josh bouncing between the two. Izzy turns on her mother when she discovers her infidelity, isolating Eve more and more, kind of driving her towards Levi for one last tryst as prisoners in a mine together. There are lots of flaws in our characters. And, of course, they're heightened for television. But what makes it so hard to believe that your parents might not be good for each other anymore? Is it easier to hold on to the status quo than to look beyond? In 2019, the Pew Research Center published findings saying that the percent of people who have cohabited is rising, while those who have ever married is on the decline. Moreover, the percent of U.S. adults living without a spouse or partner is on the rise up 9% from 1990 to 2019. A 2018 study from the same group found more unmarried parents are cohabiting and that 25% of U.S. parents are unmarried. About 8 in every 25 children are living with an unmarried parent. This is to say that Josh and Izzy are lucky to have lived their romantic notion of married parents. But it's not their notion, is it? It's a little bit wider than that. With polls telling us that unwed parents both exist and are morally acceptable, who's putting the emphasis on the traditional family unit in this show? Is it Applebaum? The closest answer you can get for this is in a Beverly Hills Magazine interview, where they asked, Have you found purpose and fulfillment in what you do? Applebaum's response was, I do feel creatively fulfilled in my work, in my family. NBC has broadcast a number of family-focused series over the years, from The Jeffersons to This Is Us to The Cosby Show to Parenthood. These shows have all celebrated the traditional nuclear family, and it is worth celebrating, of course. Consider a Hallmark movie where everything works out great, love rules, misunderstandings are overcome, and many times marriage is on the horizon for the couple whose love has just blossomed. I love that stuff. It's aspirational. But not everyone loves a Hallmark movie or a family sitcom. For some, they're just not representative of reality. A more lasting case of family values being imprinted on society through media would be Walt Disney. In the 2006 book Deconstructing Disney, authors showed that Walt Disney had a highly specified agenda for his vision based on his life experiences and worldview. In 1901, Walt Disney was born into a family with strong Midwestern American values in Missouri, which would stay with him for the rest of his life. He held the nuclear family in high regard as inherently American, and often referenced his father's values as the source of his inspiration. In 1947, during McCarthyism, the House of Un-American Activities investigated communist activity in the entertainment industry. At this time, Walt Disney claimed that his workers were quote-unquote full-blooded American and the union was full of quote, un-American communists who were anti-family, end quote. This year, speakers from the Christian Filmmakers Academy told a group of aspiring Christian filmmakers gathered in San Antonio, Texas, how Disney's quote, lack of discernment has fashioned the media conglomerate into quote-unquote, an engine of cultural decline after Walt's death. So, what does family mean exactly? Family? Is that what you said? Family? In this episode, I've said traditional, but I actually mean what researchers call patriarchal nuclear. Many authors point out that the traditional nuclear family may be somewhat of an oxymoron, as this family form is not truly traditional in the U.S., in black, indigenous, or white cultures before the Industrial Revolution, and that the use of the term traditional privileges this type of family and those individuals having this type of family. Regardless of whether this family type is in fact traditional, recent social changes have made this type of family a small percentage of all families. Household might be an interesting and important unit of analysis. It is no longer, if it ever was, equivalent to family. Similarly, the often used definitions spouse and children and kin in the household are not equivalent to family. There are diverse types of families, many of which include people related by marriage, biology, or adoption, as well as people related through affection, obligation, dependence, or cooperation. No clear definition of family emerges. However, the importance of recognizing and capturing this diversity is recognized. So there is a need for us to define family, even though, in many cases, we define it in several different ways. For example, when you say family today, it might conjure visions of Vin Diesel and Paul Walker. I don't have friends. I got family. Situations where people were brought together and became family. This is often referred to as a chosen family. And the truth is, kids don't tend to choose their families. They are chosen for them, sometimes for better and sometimes for worse. The growing belief seems to be that there are several acceptable ways to have and raise children, but you should really only get married if you think you're in a relationship that is permanent, says Andrew Churlin, a sociologist at Johns Hopkins University who studies families. In another piece, Patrick Barkham of The Guardian wrote, I know so many people whose parents did something similar to mine struggled in a difficult marriage, quote, for the sake of the children, finally splitting up when the kids went to university or were considered old enough to handle it. This can be a selfless parental act and is often what the children want. Although my parents were visibly unhappy in my teenage years, I was desperate for them to stay together. The upside is that it can be better to maintain a familiar family structure, says Christine Northam, a relationship counselor for Relate. The downside is that children may develop in a, quote, "...sterile and not very loving environment." Unfortunately, parents who stay together for the children don't take into account the model they are presenting to their children, thinks Northam. And these loveless examples can hamper children and their adult relationships. Parents staying together for the children may have another person in their lives and children learn to keep secrets or protect mom and dad from the infidelity. Parents are modeling something that perhaps is not very good for the kids, says Northam. Why do our parents hate each other? So the divorce rate has gone down, and the rate of marriage has also gone down, and fewer people are entertaining the idea of marriage. So what's going on in La Brea? In two families, we have the traditional family unit, mom, dad, son, daughter. The Harris family is ripe with issues, but then there's also the Velez family, Back in 2021, Sam's son and wife are living and mourning. For some reason, Sam brought his divorce papers to 10,000 BC and still looks at them once in a while. When Riley sees the papers, she's reduced to this quote. But if you're not with mom, what happens to our family? Piling this on top of the already childish view from the Harris kids feels utterly tone deaf in today's climate. 54% of children are not living with two parents in their first marriage. So why is that so essential to the plot of this silly TV show? Certainly Scott, Lucas, and Veronica have new ideas of what family can be, though we still have Lucas and Veronica veering into a traditional dynamic at the end of season two. They've landed in a place with strangers and have made relationships that bond them almost as much as family could. But Applebaum is right. Family is a driving force in La Brea. It's one for bad. James represents a polarized vision of family. He's a man on the brink trying to bring everything back together, desperately wanting to turn back the clock to when he believes things were perfect, but they weren't very perfect for Caroline, and Silas didn't see them as ideal either. Are we saying that Caroline should have stayed with the work-obsessed James to the detriment of her and her child? It seems like it, based on the way the Harris's and Velez families are presented, I mean, if she just stayed with James, then Gavin Zaya would have been a happy boy growing into a happy adult, but he also wouldn't have the family that he has now that he's sacrificing everything for. As a child of divorce myself, it's fine if the show wants to portray a traditional family, but the way that divorce is treated as severely as falling 12,000 years into the past is demeaning and reductive. And if it's just being played for an easy plot device, I feel like that's kind of lazy. And if this traditional family is being played as an ideal, it's kind of out of touch. So when it comes to family in La Brea, look to the grief of Veronica. Look at her often misguided attempts to stay bonded to Lily. There you will find someone desperate to keep her family, but one who learns to let go. Look at the anger in Lucas, whose father betrayed him to save his own butt. So he lashed out at his mom and then repaired their relationship just in time for her to die but they still had a few tranquil moments before she perished. Look to Scott, who was so afflicted by the passing of his brother that it impacted his entire life, saddling him with anxiety and making him unable to stand up for himself and others. Look to Riley, who supported Veronica through the sorrow of losing her sister, making new, deep bonds that may seem conditional, yes, but the conditions that we should hold all of our loved ones to. Can La Brea teach you about family? Absolutely. Are the Harris's kind of annoying and have poor priorities? Absolutely. So, learn about family from the peripheral characters. Don't focus on Gavin jumping in a mini sinkhole with no supplies or food, bringing his daughter just because you want your family to be together, no matter the place or time or danger. Don't try to win over approval of your douchey evil genius dad that you've never met before just because his DNA is part of you. Instead, learn about family through the chosen connections the characters have made. If, to you, family conjures images of the godfather or succession, then you may not understand what I'm saying, but if your idea of family prioritizes respect and compassion over simple biological connection, then I think you might get the idea. Every time in Librea, someone says family or treats divorce like it's a terminal diagnosis, It feels more unbelievable than a T-Rex, or a portal through time, or a teenage son who is such a major tool. It would make me happy if the people in the show were fueled by love. I know love is just as vague as family, but I feel like it might be a little bit more sincere. In the Media Reviews About a month ago, series creator David Applebaum checked in with Sci-Fi Wire to talk about the upcoming Season 3, fresh off of the Season 2 finale. We've talked about it on the show before. Six episodes have been ordered, and all actors are free to leave their contracts at the end of those six episodes. Despite this... We're full steam ahead, Applebaum teased. From his perspective, he confirmed initial reports of a six-episode order for Season 3, but teased that those plans remain fluid and that there could potentially be more episodes added to Season 3 down the line. Quote, We're open to more episodes and we'll see what happens, but nothing has been decided definitively. End quote. I think he might not know that they have been. As for where they're taking the story in Season 3... Applebaum said that the show will still remain true to the themes that have carried it this far, exploring a concept of family torn apart, and always fighting to find one another across space, time, and anything else that gets in the way. And I hate to say it, but he comes across as a guy who doesn't have a thesaurus with this next quote. At its core, the show continues to be about this divided family trying to get back together and make it home. That's really always at the center of the show. And that will continue to be there. But it's also a show about survival. And can we survive this inhospitable place of 10,000 BC? Yes, you can. As evidenced by Para and her people, and of course the people who fell in the sinkhole. I kind of feel like this episode of the La Brea Purvea made me sound a bit like a hater. But you have to understand, I love this show. And I did call it a silly show back there, because... That's what it's supposed to be. As I move through the series Lost, which I'll cover in another episode, I do find myself admiring how La Brea doesn't take itself as seriously as Lost did, despite them both being really kind of nonsensical at times. So don't think that I have been turned. I still love La Brea. And I will come to you again probably next month with another episode uh, covering, you know, maybe Lost. Or Infidelity. Or some other thing if you like what you've heard this episode then you can rate it somewhere if you have any questions or ideas you can always reach out via email at shout at you that is the email address for the parent podcast of this show which is called y'all heard if you have a dollar to spare you're welcome to join us on patreon at patreon.com slash y'all heard otherwise you enjoy yourself and don't forget to say i love you to your family whoever they are for you